0: Warning. The podcast you are about to experience may contain content that isn't suitable for younger audiences. So, if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to. Well, we've warned you. Welcome to Villainology, a podcast revolving around our favorite personifications of humanity's darker side, and what truly makes them the scourge of their respective worlds. I am your host, Rob Mobley, and I cannot tell you how great it is to finally be rid of the real villain that has plagued us this entire year, 2020. (laughs) For those of you that are new here, the basic idea is that I present each guest an opportunity to discuss at length someone who is widely considered to be a villain, and to offer their own personal insight as to why they find them so intriguing. These opinions are totally subjective, and I find that hearing the opinion on someone you either love to hate or hate to love helps to better understand these characters as a whole. Our guest today is someone who is quite familiar with facing off against fantastic villains from across all of space and time. He's an actor, one hell of a guitar picker, and is one of the sweetest people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. You know him as Barad Tarazi on DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Cheyenne Sobian. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. That was quite an introduction.
0: Wait, you know, it's, it's just, I have to keep with tradition. I have to throw all the epithets your way. Congratulations on getting up to series regular. That's huge. <laughs> yes. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I can't even begin to describe the level of gratitude I have every day for this job. I mean... I wouldn't have been able to get married this year to the love of my life had I yes. not booked this job and, and been confirmed as a series rec. I mean, it has radically changed the direction and the scope of my life so much for the better. And I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to share my gifts with the world and to get paid doing it.
0: You you've had a huge year. I mean, between this, like you said, getting married to beautiful Sally, who's a, who's a dear friend of the podcast. Yes, which is actually how for for those who are curious, how
1: Rob and I got connected was through, yes. through my wife Sally.
0: Uh, she's a total a total yeah, badass she's, in her she's own the right. Best. But you also just released a new single on top of all of this. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yes, so I have taken this time to launch my music career. If you go to my Instagram page at Sean Sobian, you can find the link to my first single entitled I Fall To Pieces Without Falling Apart, which is essentially a breakup song, but it's the kind of breakup song you want to listen to when you're ready to get over it. You know, like there's some breakup songs that are still in what I would call the fuck you stage of the breakup. Uh huh. (laughs) But this is more (laughs) the kind of song that is in the, all right, I'm a mess, but you know what? I don't want to be a mess anymore. So maybe I should start doing something about it stage which to me is usually the most interesting part of life. Absolutely.
0: Not many not yeah. many artists talk about that stage. Yeah,
1: it's like all right, let, I'm I'm tired of this. Let's 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 try to move on, but still letting yourself feel through the process and not just totally shutting down all of your emotions.
0: Absolutely. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. What do you look for in a good villain?
1: You know, I was thinking about that and I came to the simplest answer I could think of, which is a good villain is a villain you root for. Huh. Right? Like, I think those are the most interesting villains or the ones that you're like, I, I actually secretly hope they win. <laughs> that's that's okay. really like the, the best villain.
0: Are there any in particular that seem to jump out when you, when you have that in mind? Well, I mean, my first
1: favorite character of all time was Hopper from A Bug's Life. Which, oh, wow, yeah. You know, he was just he was just cool to me. Like, I love when he was like, let's ride. And then like, they all went.
0: Oh yes. Yeah. So immediately kicked <laughs> those like, wings on and they shot yeah. up out of the hat. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But he's getting like a massage from the guy. And he's just, it was just cool to me. <laughs> like, I think the the, vil- the best, what I look for in a villain is like the cool aspect, you know? Oh Yeah. That's like ooh that's 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 kind the of The one like who doesn't a, have
0: to try, they just are.
1: They just are and they're and they're charming and they're terrifying. Like I I will say for the Legends fans who are listening, there is a villain on this season that is so terrifying because he is also so charming. Go
0: on. <laughs> I I I I don't want to say any more. Oh, I, yeah, will be, I will be out and... of
1: contract and <laughs> NDAs and, and multi-
0: we can't have you lose that job just when
1: you got it. Exactly, exactly. So, but yeah, I think like I mean, do you have any villains that like you found yourself rooting for in spite of yourself?
0: Oh god, oh man, there are plenty of times. I mean, I remember as a kid, uh, I mean, Star Wars was the first thing that I was really into, and I remember sitting on the couch when I was a preschooler. Watching a New Hope, like I'd get up before my parents would. I'd take the a New Hope tape. <laughs> That's what we used to watch movies on. Pop that into the VCR, and that whole opening scene when you know the stormtroopers would would breach the Tantive, the and and. They'd kill all the rebels and then Darth Vader would enter, and you'd just in that huge like fog of smoke, and you'd see just him looking around. I remember as a kid going, yeah, Darth Vader. And of course, I think that was probably really concerning to my parents at the time that I was rooting totally. for him and not Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia. But I mean, I eventually I was just like, oh yeah, no, he he is kind of the worst, isn't he? But God, for that first bit, I'm like, yeah, you just you can't help but love him.
1: Yeah, I love a villain with a great theme song, or at least theme motif. Like, I think that that's definitely helpful. I think I think music might be a good segue is is also a part of, you know, when I think of the villains that I love, they tend to have some sort of musical elements.
0: Well, speaking of that, tell us, Cheyenne Sobian, which villain have you chosen?
1: Mm, yes. Well, I haven't had the chance to play a villain yet professionally, in high school, they were my bread and butter. Beginning with Jonathan in Arsenic and Old Lace. Ooh. Are you familiar? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. That's a,
0: that's a great role for you.
1: It's a classic. That was, that was actually my first breakout role as an actor. Like the first one where I was like, okay, I think I'm like starting to like get a feel for this thing. Oh, sure. Um, and then next, I played the engineer in Miss Saigon, who is not oh, wow. villainous. He's not like a villain per se, but he he is like, you know, he's more of an opportunist. But yeah, I do think he's, it's he's fair to say he's kind of a that, ball. Yeah, he operates from the shadows. Yeah. Right? Another role I played was uh, Count Dracula in our own original adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. So that was All another... Right you know, crazy Very villain. Nice. Um, I also played the Phantom, which is again, not a total villain, but he's a darker character. So oh, yeah. I was,
0: I was, I in mean, he, dark he does r- murder not- people. So it's, he's not True. completely True. innocent. It's, it's a gray area. I prefer anti-hero, but the <laughs> villain, which
1: I have chosen uh, and the role that I probably loved the most was none other than Edward Hyde, in Frank Wildhorn's classic musical, Jekyll and Hyde. The animals shout behind the house of the zoo. Knees are unramping and, and free. Predators live by the great himmer soon. This time, the predator's me. And thus like a raging desire. Fills my whole soul with its curse. Burning like primitive fire. Berserk and burn. tonight.
0: Okay. So you played Jekyll and Hyde that, I mean, to me, and I think a lot of actors out there, that is a huge dream role for a lot of us. So what was that experience like for you? Oh, I
1: mean, it was, it was great. I, I had, you know, ample rehearsal time to really dig into it. You know, it's, it's, it's high school. So it's, you know, it's, it's like a, a total playground. Um, at, at least it was for us. And I loved the aspect of, getting to play these opposing forces that were, you know, in a sense, one and the same. Like that was a really fun thing to explore is like, you know, what are the differences between these two characters and how can I totally, you know, and, and then over the course of the show, how do those differences start to crumble? I mean, I, I could go on for, for a while about about the process, but I mean, it, it just, it was and speaking of music too, that was a big part of it because obviously this character comes from the novella uh, by Robert Louis Stevenson, but you know this was a very particular adaptation, and I think that the music was such an important part of that for me as also a musician, um, and so that was it's was fun to both look at the differences in. You know Jekyll and Hyde's um, lines and like script work, but also the difference in their songs. You know yeah. the musicality of the songs and and exploring it from that way. So that's I mean I love musicals because you have multiple angles to explore the story. You have if there's a dance number, you have you have the dance aspect, you have the acting, and then you also have the music. So that was it was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun.
0: So. Getting into the dirt of it all, why specifically Edward Hyde and by proxy Jekyll?
1: A couple things. First of all, there's something so extraordinary about a villain who has no rules, right? Like some men just want to watch the world burn. Sure. That classic. Uh, I think Hyde comfortably falls into that category. You know, he, he has no rules. But I think what elevates... This villain is his inextricability from the hero. Hyde is Jekyll. Jekyll is Hyde. So, how oh, can yeah, Jekyll.
0: T- two sides of the same coin.
1: Right. How can Jekyll, the hero, vanquish this villain without vanquishing himself? I mean, it's a, it's a Greek tragedy in, in the Victorian era and I am a total sucker for Greek chat tragedy. Oh yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I, you know, the the fact that he's so unpredictable, I think was, was so fun to work with. And, and like, what is he going to do next? You know, like that's a real question that the audience hangs on every moment of like, Oh, what, how will he continue this (laughs) barrage of insidiousness? But then also like, how will this play out? Because it's not like it's a a traditional hero going up against the villain. It's like this was birthed out of the the mind of the person we're supposed to be rooting for. And so it's very
0: complicated in that sense. Well, it almost makes you wonder, I guess it's a great question for you. What would you say drives Hyde?
1: (sighs) Power. I think power, lust for power. His first song is... Alive. And again, I'm going to be referencing the musical mainly because that's what I'm most familiar with. But his first big number is this song called Alive, which is, you know, it's what is this feeling, this power inside? I've never known. I feel alive. You know, he's, he's, he's lustful. He's murderous. He has an insatiable appetite. And I think that he is, we described him as pure id. Like he is Jekyll's id. And so yeah. all of the lower animal nature stuff that is present in humans, that is his MO. That, that is that is his drive. That is what powers him. It's like, I need to have sex with someone right now and I need to eat a big steak dinner afterwards. And then I'm going to smoke five
0: cigarettes and I'm going to kill someone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just another day at the office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, so – we know that he is driven. I mean, I mean, it's it's pure primal nature to him. He just does what he feels. That's that's what he follows.
1: Right, but, no inhibitions.
0: Yes, exactly. So, with that being said, would you say that he is the real villain of the story, or would you say that it's actually Jekyll who released him?
1: Very interesting question. I think the f- okay. fairest answer is to say that Hyde is the real villain, but that Jekyll at worst is his accomplice and That's fair. at best, yeah, and at best is probably a tragic hero.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right?
1: So I th- I think like looking looking at this story through the lens of Greek tragedy, like Jekyll's hubris leads him to believe that he is strong enough to conduct the experiment on himself. And so then he commits this tragic error when he drinks the formula and unleashes Hyde, who ultimately brings about his demise. So, like, he, you know, it, it, by trying to escape his fate of becoming critically insane like his father, he ends up fulfilling his fate and is driven so mad he commits suicide. So, like, that's, I mean, they don't get much more Greek tragedy than that. Oh, um, no,
0: not even in the slightest. And,
1: but I, I don't think it's fair to say that Jekyll is a villain because his intentions are pure. He wants to do good. He is trying to, he is just, he he has hubris. He thinks that he's strong enough to take on this transformation and this experiment on his own when he's denied the permission to do it at the hospital properly. And so in that sense, he's challenging God as a character. And that is a theme throughout the, the musical as well, is he's questioning, like, did I make the right choice in that sense? And I think Hyde is the villain that was unleashed as a result of that, but I don't think Jekyll is a villain. That's,
0: that's an interesting point of view because it also seems like in a lot of early horror work from, you know, Dr. Jekyll or Dr. Frankenstein, or, I mean, you could also say the main character from the invisible man, Griffin Holly, they, they all strove to, to create something fantastical out of science. And, and usually in some kind of capacity to, you know, do something that nobody else had ever done. and, and, in some kind of capacity, be it be on the level of God in terms of yeah. their creation. You often hear in Frankenstein criticism that it's actually Victor, the doctor, is actually the real villain and the creature is just is the one just trying to make it work, but doesn't know any better.
1: Right. But see, see, I it, I haven't read Frankenstein Actually, I've never read the full version. I've only read the Great Illustrated Classics version.
0: Hey, there's. Uh, do you remember wrong with those books? Oh yes, that's how we all. <laughs> yeah. That's how we all got started. <laughs> that's how we all got
1: by. But from my understanding, Frankenstein is not that intelligent. Like, does he? Is he able to really make like decisions? He, he
0: does. There's, there's, there comes a point when you know. And of course, when when you first meet him, he's a child by all accounts, he's fresh out of the womb. He doesn't know anything. And he eventually gets taken in by this blind old man and is taught how to read and how to, uh, how to understand basic language. And so the only thing that he has on his person, the creature, is the journal of Victor. And he starts to read that, and that's how he learns how he was created and in the process that went into it. And that's how he's able to build up this intelligence. So by the time he meets the doctor, he is speaking intelligently to him that takes the doctor takes him completely aback he's like right you you know how to do this right this is this is insane to me
1: yeah i and i guess but i guess too, like victor's intentions in creating frankenstein i would suspect are less altruistic than jekyll's intentions in separating the good and evil from humanity
0: sure oh absolutely i mean it's it's clear that 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 you know victor was very much of the mind that he just wanted to create life he thought he could do it and therefore, he just did. Whereas, I mean, yeah, as as you would say, clearly in in the show at least, Henry's main motive is to get rid of the evil in oneself, so they can just yeah. be pure and good, without any sort of muck in their life.
1: And and it's to say it's to save his father as well, because his father. The opening scene, he's taking care of his father, who is in an insane asylum. Which, if you know anything about insane asylums in Victorian England they're not a pretty place and he was so distraught over the treatment of his father that he his way of which is flawed and and um i think um what is that word reductive um his his way of of trying to help that problem was just to separate the good from the evil sure which i know that Robert Louis Stevenson, who originated the character in his novella, shared those same feelings of internal conflict. And so I think that's where this whole idea of Jekyll and Hyde came about was actually the, his own neurotic feelings.
0: Oh, yeah. And and I, I would argue that a lot of us kind of have an inner Hyde in us all in some capacity. Definitely. I mean, yeah. Some some people are more, like obviously not monstrous in that capacity, but we all have that side of us. Certainly, specifically in this one, I mean, he's often in a lot of media. I mean, not particularly this musical, but in a lot of adaptations. Most notably, I would say in uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I mean, he's he's often portrayed as this massive, hulking kind of figure. Busting out of his suit, just ginormous person. But in the in the novella by Stevenson, he's described as someone smaller than Jekyll, more ape-like. His clothes are too big for him, but he's more uh, he's more virile and agile and and can move faster. What do you think it is about this? Why do you think people? tend to go with the more hulking version rather than what was initially written in the novella?
1: You know, I don't know exactly, but if I were to guess, I would say that size is an easy way to depict power visually. Okay. Um, But I would also say that it's not necessarily the most interesting choice. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I think size is an, is an easy cop-out of like, okay, so he transforms into into height What happens next? Oh, he gets really big and scary and powerful and he can do this. Yeah. Versus like if in the original novella, when you like, as you described, he gets more ape-like. It's like, oh, he's smaller. He's more sly, slithery, um, more agile, can exist in the shadows more. And, and also I, I think a villain being portrayed as small, is in line with the psychology of a villain is in line with that's how villains feel. They feel small inside, you know, like the Grinch's heart was three times too small. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know exactly, but I think people, you know, they they make their choices and, and that's, that's what they do.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's inspired a lot of choices. I mean, we, we've seen this, this particular character inspire so many other characters down the line, we've seen the, the you know the Incredible Hulk uh, in the Marvel universe. We've seen Two Face in the DC universe. I mean, they they literally there literally is a character called Mister Hyde in the comics who's a villain. What 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 is it about this character that makes him such an enticing muse?
1: Well, I think when stories are repeated, they tend to draw from themes that are present in all of us how many of us wish we could just take a potion and have all of our problems solved?
0: I don't know. If only. (laughs) Right.
1: Ask ask the people who made the movie Limitless.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Or or the nutty professor. (laughs) Which, yeah, that's enough. That's, that that literally is this story. It literally is
1: this story, but there's something very enchanting about a character who has seemed to have cracked the code. And who is willing to use himself as a test subject for his own or her own experiments. In that sense, I think we see like a human quality of sacrifice almost. Because, yeah, again, I think the key to Jekyll and Hyde is that Jekyll thinks he is doing this for the greater good. And it ends up going very, very bad. It's a cautionary tale. And I think... Yeah, I think it's an enticing muse because it's a cautionary tale and because it's like, you know, you can't just take a pill and solve all your problems. Again, like I, I do think limitless is, is a enough of a parallel where it's like this is something that is something external that will help an internal problem. Right. And I don't think that ever works. Or at least it should. <laughs> <laughs> at least it should, because it's like you know. Again, like it's it's like medicating people's emotions today, which I do think has a lot of validity. I don't think that you know. I, I I'm not totally against medication for mental health, but I think that often it is that is a money maker for big pharma, and it's pushed on people at an early age. Like the big one is ADHD medication for for young kids. Like that's like it's like. I can't believe I'm making this comparison, but it's like, you know, if you just medicate that child, they are not going to, they might, they might not be able to figure out what it is that they need for themselves. Sure. And so that I think is like, might be this, this really deep theme that is present in this character in this story that people might be either consciously or unconsciously drawn to.
0: Final thoughts. What does Edward Hyde mean to you personally?
1: Oh, great question. I mean, for whatever reason, that was the role, along with Henry Jekyll, that I was able to tap into so deeply that I knew after our production and after winning a Tammy Award for my performance, which to you I'm sure means nothing but to a small demographic of theater kids in Massachusetts, I assure you it means everything. Hell yeah. <laughs> but it was after this role and winning this award and everything that I knew I wanted to be an actor. This was the major turning point for me where it was it was almost like a confirmation. It was like, okay, I took on this impossible role. I knocked it out of the park. Maybe this is something I can do for the rest of my life. It was the first time I really allowed myself to go there. And I think all actors, I'm sure you have this moment where you're like, you know what, maybe this is not such a bad idea after all. And it's like, it's that oh, yeah. first moment of hope. And that that's what this role means to me is that was the beginning of it all. I mean, in a sense, I would say that that was the genesis of my career as a professional actor. And it still remains a dream role to this day. Like if if they remount this on broadway or do a tour or i do happen to know that the film rights have been secured but production has been stalled for about three or four years uh, but if they do end up <laughs> if they do end up you know mounting this you bet your bottom dollar i'm gonna be fighting for it
0: oh i'm so I'm, I'm already jealous of you for that because <laughs> god i just want to play this role so goddamn bad <laughs>
1: Well, I do have to say for our listeners that I have seen Rob Mobley perform a rendition of the Confrontation, which is the famous scene when Jekyll and Hyde actually face off against each other, and it is incredible. It's amazing. <laughs> I watched it with my wife; we friggin' loved it. And I just, as a fellow Jekyll and Hyde thespian, be hats off to you, my friend. You pulled it off.
0: <laughs> I, I take that as as very, very high praise. Thank you, sir.
1: <laughs> I mean every word.
0: So what else? So we know that this was the jumpstart to your career, but is there anything specifically about this character that has special meaning to you? Yes. I mean, I think
1: in that answer, there are a lot of other different answers. Like this wouldn't have been the jumpstart to my career if it wasn't such such a successful performance for me. And then you have to ask, well, why was it such a successful performance? Was it just luck or was there something about the character that really resonated with me? And I think I, we spoke about earlier this, this internal conflict that Robert Louis Stevenson also had where, okay, I'm going to use a very benign example of what I'm talking about.
0: Go on, please.
1: Have you ever, while seeing a play, a live play, been in the audience and just thought to yourself, you know what, what would it be like if I got up out of my chair right now during the show? And I walked down the aisle and I walked on stage and I didn't say anything. I didn't do it. I just walked across the stage during the scene and just to see what people would do. Have you ever had that impulse?
0: All the time. And I believe there's an actual term for that. I believe it's called the call of the void. This really? idea that, yes, I believe that's the exact term. It's this idea of like. Let's Google it. And, Let's and, pretend we're like on Joe Rogan right now. Google that yeah, shit. Yeah, Please pull call it up. Of the i of the Call of the Void. It's this idea that you just, you suddenly in your brain have this idea of like, yeah, you know, I'm going to jump out of this car right now. What, what if I did? What if I did? What would that do? You're obviously not going to do it, but there's that little voice in the back of your head that's just, it's, that's what that is. I mean, this is, your example is much, much more tame. Than what a lot of those examples that are yes. normally presented with the call the void yes. is, yes, but the it's, call it's the same the void, basic principle. It, from Healthline, the call of void describes this impulse to hurl yourself
1: into well a void. While unnerving, it's actually a pretty common experience. It also has nothing to do with the suicidal ideation. So, right, it's like this this desire to hurl oneself into chaos, which I think is. Is very common because I've I've spoken with many people about this specific example, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, all, all the time." I mean, that's what people—that's like what streakers do. That's like, what, oh yes. What, and I and it, what's interesting about streaking is like streaking is it's like it's a protest against the rules of society, which I have always loved. Like I I've, I I've, I'll never forget my fourth grade teacher. Actually, it was a substitute teacher who knew us like she was a, a parent of one of the kids. So she was kind of like more familiar with us. But anyway, she, uh. what during class, she was like, you always have to be different, don't you, Cheyenne? And I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> like I was being difficult. I was like saying the answers in like a very strange way. Just like always to be different. I was like, yeah. I, I." But I was so grateful to her in that moment because she identified this thing in me that I hadn't yet put words to. And I, care- I still, I'm bringing it up right now. Like I own the fact that I always have to be different. And I think how that relates to Jekyll and Hyde is that, well, on the Jekyll side, Jekyll is someone who is so determined, right? Like he is a guy who at all costs, he has to accomplish his goals. And yeah. it's an, it's, it's like an internal struggle too, right? Like the first song is I need to know, which I, I love that song. Um, mm-hmm. But he's, He's that's that's it. It's like I need to know, you know, what, what what torments man's soul, and he's he's on this hunt. And you know, I'm a very spiritual person as well. I I'm, I'm a Baha'i, and I'm I'm very dedicated to to my faith. And that that kind of faith that he had in science, um, I relate to him. When I when I find a character who has that level of determination and that level of trust in something that is larger than himself. I'm very drawn to that. But of course, Jekyll, like all of us was flawed and he, he went up against God and thus this underbelly came out. And so now on the hide side of things, there is, even though I'm a spiritual person, I still have all these animalistic impulses like all of us. And I think that is the, one of the purposes of spirituality is to elevate us to our higher selves, but at the same time, I w- I grew up extremely conflicted in terms of what I wanted to do as a teenager versus what you know my parents wanted me to do or what what I, I knew deep down I really should be doing, and I think that everyone experiences that to some degree. And what's cool about Hyde is. He is someone who actually doesn't care about the consequences. And so for me as a 17 year old boy, to get to be on stage and to both be the virtuous doctor who is trying to do good and get to be the, you know, the heinous villain who gets to, you know, grab ass and, you know, whatever. That was, that was friggin' awesome. That was like. Oh, you're oh, having your it... cake and eating it too. Exactly. And then at the end, we take a bow and it's all over. We go to Chili's and everybody gets late. Like that. <laughs>
0: Ah oh, yes, the home base of every <laughs> high school cast party that has ever existed. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, that, there there's this
1: there's this ritual of theater that actually and this is the second time I'm technically bringing up Kevin Spacey today. I once saw an interview with him where he would talk about this ritual of theater, which I really resonate with. And it's this this ritual of, you know, you find out what shows going up and then you get the uh you get the uh audition sides and you practice them and then you do the you do the audition and then if there's a callback you go to the callback and then you wait to see and then the cast list shows up and then you know who you're playing and then you begin the rehearsals and it's it's not it's fun at first you do a table read and it's it's going well and then you start to stage the scene you get it on its feet and it's starting to have life and 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 then you do your first run through and it's a colossal disaster
0: (laughs) Oh I mean, yes,
1: everyone is familiar with this. And then you know, by by your dress rehearsal, things start to come together. And then you have your run, and then you have your cast part. And then, but just that that whole ritual of of theater, I, I very much miss. I, I will admit, and I'm I'm really looking forward to the day when we get to see live shows again. I mean Same. I, I hope it's by the end of this year.
0: Here's hoping if everybody can just you know get their shit together for a moment, put on a mask, and and stick stay. Distant from everybody else. I am. I get get a vaccine when you can.
1: (laughs) I am perhaps stupidly optimistic, but you know that that might just be my nature. (laughs) Yeah, but the thing is, you have to be. You have to be, especially in this kind. You
0: gotta you gotta find your joy and and your optimism where you can, or else you're just not gonna make it.
1: I I I love. Someone once told me he was like, you know, at the end of the day, I still want to be happy. Like no matter what happens. It's like, I still just want to be happy. So I'm going to choose to be happy at the end of the day. And I never forgot that. I was like, yeah, you know what? I can just choose to be happy. And it's not easy. Trust me, it's, it's hard. But remembering that I always had the choice is nice, nice. It's comforting.
0: I mean, it, it, it beats trying to make a potion to make yourself happy and then exactly. nothing else to think about. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. Way to bring it back.
0: Shy, it's been so good to have you on the show. Dude, so much fun. We
1: should definitely do it again sometime. I'm absolutely here for that. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Sounds good.
0: I'm going to leave a link for the Alzheimer's Association in the description below. What does this organization mean to you, Shy?
1: Well, uh, yeah, you asked me about organizations, and this is the first one I thought of because my mom is an Alzheimer's specialist, has been for years, and she works in a nursing home. Uh, where she's the director of a dementia care unit. And for years, I actually was the entertainer at this nursing home. I would go in and, and oh, wow. play. Yeah, I played piano. I would play guitar. They would always request Elvis songs. <laughs> of course. One of, my, one of my best friends also does this. He he plays at nursing homes and does Elvis tunes and whatnot. But I um, I did that for a while. And then there's also this annual walk that the Alzheimer's Association does. That's their big event of the year to raise money. I would play at that um every now and again and so yeah it's 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 like a organization that I grew up with and you know I don't have anyone like that I'm super directly related to that is affected by the disease. But because of m- my mom's occupation, it, it's been like a part of my life. And I've, I've been very aware of it for a while now. And I do think that if if you have anything to give, and if you can find a place in your heart to give, then this is a very, very worthy organization for that money. And they do incredible things, not just with finding treatments and the cure, but also with support the families of those who are suffering
0: having known people that have suffered through that it's it's there's there's no way to properly describe just how it's it's it's
1: very sad it's very sad to to lose your memory of your loved ones in particular and it's almost harder for the loved ones themselves who are experiencing that and yeah and there's you know there's there's two types of alzheimer's there's early onset and then there's sort of the typical one that happens in older age Um, and early onset is also very scary because you know you could have people I think as early as in their 50s and all of a sudden it's it's the way my mom describes it is interesting like sometimes like you'll there's just like these blank spaces in like what you're what you're looking at like you look at the I know my mom is listening to this right now and I forgive me if I say anything incorrect, but from my understanding, (laughs) it's like you're looking at this stove and you see the dial on the stove. And for whatever reason, you can't remember like what that dial is for. But, but, but you're working a very high level job at the same time. And, and, and what I I will say to some things that she's always told me that can help prevent it is like, Creating new pathways in your brain, and so, for example, a really easy way to do that is to take a different route home from work every now and again, instead of just going the same way over and over again. Create new pathways. Um, Sudoku, um, she's a really big proponent of. That, that's that's a great brain expanding tool. But sure. it's also cool to see what she's done with her unit. She has this almost like a sensory deprivation room. Oh yeah, you, yeah. It, it's sort of it, it's to build empathy, and it helps you sort of get a glimpse as to what, you know, what it's like to, to be affected by the disease. And so anyways, um, she's, she's been a, um, with the Alzheimer's Association for many years. And again, if you have anything you can donate, please, please go to alz.org.
0: I'll leave that in the description below. Your mom is a real life hero. That's she's a saint. Shy, thanks again for being on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you to Ross Lampert for composing the theme song to this podcast. He's a brilliant dude. And if you're in the market for any music production needs, head over to his website at daggerandinc.com. And thank you, listener, for carving out a little bit of time for us today. If you like this show, please consider following us on Facebook and Instagram at Villainology Podcast. We're on Twitter now, at Villainology Pod, so feel free to give us a follow. Give us a review, drop us a comment, let us know who you want to see discussed next. And hopefully we'll see you next time. Stay foolish, mortals. <laughs>